Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Episode number 24 of the Sal Sports and Stuff podcast and 24. Just saying that reminds me, we're big 24 fans in this house. Long time ago, now what, 20 years ago now probably that show came out. I got to look exactly how long ago it was, but I do remember catching up to it. I had not watched it, and believe it or not, I was teaching high school in social studies and uh, had a, a senior and a girl who was a senior, in one of my classes who said, coach, that's what the kids called me at the time. Cause I coached some sports. She said, uh, have you ever seen 24? And I'm like, no, she's like, it's really good. I'll let you borrow some DVDs. And she brought them in and my wife and I started watching them and I'm like, oh my God, we got to really keep watching this. And we binge watched 24. I'm telling you like four or five episodes a night for quite a while. Had to catch up on several seasons Gave the DVDs back to the girl when uh, we were done with them, but then we were finally caught up and, you know, watched. Anyway, that's what I think of when I hear 24. And then, of course, Kobe Bryant, who wore number 24 along with number eight. But it is episode number 24. Shout out to Jack Bauer. Shout out to Kobe Bryant. How about that? (laughs) Here on the Sal Sports and Stuff podcast. Maybe I can interview Jack Bauer sometime. Kiefer Sutherland. He's had quite the career. Why am I talking about this stuff? I don't know. It's NFL Draft Recap Time. That's what I need to talk about with you right here on the South Sports and Stuff podcast. The Bills make seven selections, and I'm going to talk with a couple of guys who can give you a different perspective or maybe even the same perspective, whatever it is, on each of them, but two different perspectives. And that is going to be Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports and Emery Hunt from Football Game Plan. So I'll talk with both of them here. Let me give you my assessment just quickly here on the draft class, I'll, I'll go through the specific guys with the, them, but my overall interpretation of the draft class is the Bills basically got good, solid football players and competitors. They didn't do anything out of the ordinary except maybe take a kicker with a draft pick, but it was expected they were going to bring in another kicker anyway to compete with Steven Hauschka, thinking now that and knowing now that Kari Vedvik is going to be a punter. They wanted to create some competition there, and after what happened last year with Hauschka, you know, missing long field goals early on in the year and then them actually putting a waiver claim in on Chase McLaughlin but not getting him, I think it was expected they would at least create competition. So maybe that could be considered some sort of surprising move. I don't think a a backup quarterback in Jake Fromm in the fifth round is a surprising move. I don't think uh, that should be considered some shocking news to anybody that the Bills would want more competition at the backup quarterback spot with Matt Barkley going into the final year of his deal. But all that said, overall, I thought they needed to get bigger. Um, at least I, 
I should say my interpretation is that they felt they needed to get bigger at wide receiver and better at kicker. And I think that points to maybe the Houston playoff game really playing a, a part in this draft and lingering in their mind about how they can get over the hump. If you remember back to that game, if they had a kicker, they felt really confident in hitting like a really long one. Maybe it ends up differently. We don't know. But maybe more so is the fact that Duke Williams was targeted so much in that game. And there were a couple times he just didn't come down with the ball that maybe some people thought he should have. And hey, Duke Williams is still on the roster. He's going to fight for a roster spot. He still offers a big body. But I think maybe the Bills may have felt they needed to get a bit bigger there. Now, Brandon Bean was on WGR with Howard and Jeremy on Monday morning. And he said there were some smaller guys there too that they thought about, but they just liked what the two guys they drafted brought to the table. And of course, I'm talking about Gabe Davis, their fourth rounder out of UCF. And then their sixth rounder out of Oregon State, Isaiah Hodgins. So those two guys there are going to be in the mix at wide receiver. And I think Hodgins actually can play in the slide, even though he's six foot four. Uh, I think uh, Davis, though, is clearly an outside guy. All right, so let's get to Epinesa and Moss and Fromm and Davis and Bass and Hodgins and Dane Jackson, their seventh round pick, with my two guests, Chris Trapasso of CBS Sports and Emery Hunt of Football Game Plan. All right, guys, thanks for joining me. First of all, both of you on the line at the same time. This is going to be pretty cool. A little roundtable discussion of the Bills 7 draft picks. So, uh, first of all, how are you guys feeling after everything? I know, Chris, you kind of you stayed off Twitter except for, you know, doing your own thing and putting out your thoughts, but you weren't, like, answering questions left and right because you're, you're working so hard at it, man. Yeah, I mean, starting with day two, uh, I was doing the live draft grades for CBS from – T Higgins at 33 all the way to Tate Crowder, Mr. Irrelevant. Wow. So it was a busy three days for me, but it's a lot of fun. It, it's a culmination of a long pre-draft process and an unprecedented one this year. Um, so it's like bittersweet when it's over, uh, but it was certainly a, a blast over the last three days. No doubt about it. How, how was it for you, Emery, this weekend? It was business as usual for me because, you know, you, you're watching guys go off and uh, just tweeting out thoughts in my real draft work comes now when you have, you know, these guys that are getting undrafted, you know, I, I usually wait to put out draft grades because I want to include the undrafted guys, the eighth round. I like to call it. That's how you really round out a draft class. So it's, it was shocking to see some guys not get drafted, but it's always good to see those guys that you thought had a chance get signed pretty quickly. Yeah. And Chris has a lot of work ahead of him because he's going to have to update his uh, practice squad power rankings pretty soon, I think. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we don't have them officially yet, but especially with the expanded practice squad. So that should be fun. And I'm sure you're watching the same thing, Chris, which is some of these undrafted free agents and where they're going right now, because a lot of those guys have a very good chance to make the practice squad. Definitely. Emory hit the nail on the head that you scout, you watch hundreds and hundreds of prospects and you always see, you could, I had some 100 saying Bassey from Wake Forest, the corner uh, didn't get drafted. Like you always, you think you know a player and that you kind of, and there's always a handful that don't get picked. And those are the guys like Emory saying in the eighth round, you like to see them land on a team. And we know, a nice chunk of NFL rosters are made up of undrafted free agents, not necessarily a bunch of all pros, but quality contributors on every team across the league. All right, guys, let's uh, go through the Bills seven draft picks. I'm going to let each of you speak on uh, a couple of minutes or so on what you think of each guy. We'll bounce it back and forth. I'll let each guy go first uh, uh, rotating draft pick. So let's start with AJ Epinesa, the Bills first pick, but obviously in the second round, 
Uh, what do you think of him, Chris? We'll start with you, and then we'll go to Emery. Yeah, he was my number 26 over there. So just from that, it was awesome value for the Bills, getting him at number 54 overall. I think he's combine workout wasn't very good um but actually right after the combine i wrote an article uh basically saying to not worry about a poor combine for epinesa because at 6'5 and 275 pounds he truly has positional versatility and at around 50 snaps in 2019 iowa used him inside and he was extremely productive getting after the passer as a defensive tackle. So if you're looking at him as strictly an edge rusher, he's a below average athlete. But if you're looking at him also as a pass rushing defensive tackle, which I think the bills will and need to use him in that role on occasion, then he's a high level athlete for that position. I love his power. Um, love his handwork. I don't think he's, uh, tremendous using his hands, but he definitely has a nice arsenal of pass rushing moves. Uh, and in what is such a deep rotation up front in Buffalo. Now, I think he's going to contribute right away and just be a long-term, uh, option for this team as some of the other guys on the defensive line get a little bit older. So I loved the pick because of the value and the refinement to Epinesa's game. What'd you think Emery? Yeah, he was my and how we grade things over at, at football game plan. We kind of break it up in positions and Chris, you know, hit the nail on the head. I graded Epinesa as my number one five tech. And so when you look at defensive end, you look at four, three ends, five techs, four eyes and edge rushers. So for me, he was the number one five tech. And, and that's exactly what Chris described. I think he's a, a really good point of attack player. He's a read and react guy. So he's, he's going to, you know, find and chase the ball the right way, um, takes good angles to the ball. And, you know, he has a way to really collapse, you know, the edge or, you know, push the pocket. So to me, he's a, he's a big end. If you want to use him as a four, three, end, he's going to be the end that sets the edge and try to funnel everything back the opposite way. Or if you use him as a five tech, he's going to whip that guard. I think all day long, um, or, you know, really hold his own outside. So I think because of how I, I saw him fit, um, and the bills and how they will, you know, be versatile up, up front defensively. This was a, a, a really good pick because he's a very good player in round three. The bills go running back a very big popular pick for bills fans through the draft process was Zach Moss. I had a lot of people tweeting me about him a lot. They did take him. And then afterwards he had the line of the weekend when I asked him about, you know, his particular running style and the fact that, you know, it's a lot of controlled violence. He said, yeah, I like to make defenders make business decisions every when he's out there running the football. So what'd you think of Zach Moss there in round three? Big fan of his vision. I think he's, you know, able to see the entire field and, and have a great understanding of the run game and his footwork is where it needs to be. So it helps him quickly get from backside to front side or front side to backside. He can evade a defender. Um, he's a good receiver and he's good in blitz pickup. So for me, he's a guy that you can have out there uh, as your starter or a good complimentary back. I think he doesn't have the explosive speed. And so right now, as just a complimentary guy that doesn't take away that shine from Singletary, he's going to work perfect in a pair. And I think that's why the Bills went with him. But I like the the running back skill set that he brings to the table. What would you think, Chris? Yeah, he was my sixth running back in this draft class, and he was the ninth running back selected. So just based on that, I thought it was pretty good value. Um, a lot of what Emery said, I, I kind of saw the same thing. And what's funny is, 
to me, a lot of his strengths and weaknesses are very similar to Devin Singletary that uh, he's certainly bigger. He's five, nine over 220 pounds. So he's very compact um, plays with a little more power than Devin Singletary um, just falling forward and absorbing contact, but great contact balance to absorb hits, continue forward. And he's more elusive than really any of the other power backs in this class that he can deploy a really nice jump cut at the line and just bounce laterally, um, making a linebacker or a defensive lineman miss. Um, he forced 87 missed tackles on around 230 carries, uh, in his final season at FAU, Devin Singletary forced 96 missed tackles. So it gives you some idea that he's around as elusive, just in space as Devin Singletary. And like Emery said, will give you some receiving ability. And just with the bigger size, he's going to be able to pick up blitzers a little bit better than Devin Singletary. I, I, I think, um, we were all looking for a compliment, maybe just a bigger back, um, Buffalo or maybe a speed Moss isn't that, but now the bills have two similar stylistic running backs in Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. They stay offense in round four. Gabe Davis brings a little height to the wide receiver room, which I think was needed. And then as soon as he was drafted, I have a, I had a former scout text me. It said, he said, you know, limited route tree. And then Brandon Bean actually confirmed that after the draft with us guys, he said he didn't run every route. He said he wanted to go watch him uh, down, you know, through this pandemic. He wasn't able to be able to do that, to go down and watch him and uh, have him run the routes. But what he did was he got a hold of some practice tape, seeing him run a little bit more of a diverse route tree maybe than we saw in games, which was pretty interesting. Chris, what'd you think about him? Yeah, he was my number 11 wide receiver. I had him in my top 100. I, I really liked what I saw and that for as much as the NFL is becoming a league where it's all about receivers getting separation with the air raid offense and more vertical elements coming into the league. Um, I don't think receivers have to run as many routes as they did maybe five to 10 years ago. And it was more pro style um, at UCF. It was an air raid system. He was the goal ball receiver at UCF. They just chucked it deep to him a bunch um, tracks it very, very well. I really liked that about his game back shoulder or when he needs to go up and get it can high point the football. And another reason why I was so high on him um, pretty good after the catch, but he's good at beating press at the line of scrimmage. He didn't see it a lot, but in a few of the games where UCF played up when they played Auburn uh, in a bowl game, when he was a freshman, uh, they played in some bigger bowl games where he did see a cornerback in his face. I think he has enough wiggle to beat press at the line. And that's usually something that young wide receivers struggle with once they get to the NFL. But yes, he's not someone that you're going to want to run intricate routes right away. Get him on the vertical route tree posts, slants, uh, corner routes and let him just win with his speed, acceleration, and ball skills down the field. Yeah, and Emery, uh, Brandon Bean also said he does have a little bit of run after catching him as well. Yeah, he's a physically strong player to me. Everything he does is strong, like how he runs his routes to how he powers through you know, the stem, how he fights with the defensive back. Everything he does is legit strong. Um, and we graded him as our number eight split in because, you know, you can't add certain risks. You can't grade Cole Beasley how you would grade right. uh, Calvin Johnson. They play two different positions. So we have our split ins, our flankers, our slots and our inside receivers, which to give an example, that's kind of like Marcus Colston. Right. So um, with Gabriel Davis, I think he can hold his own on the outside. I have to disagree with Chris. I see it a little bit differently uh, as far as the press. I thought press coverage is where he had the most issue. Um, because DBs are constantly able to get their hands on him. And he spends so much energy fighting with defensive backs 
uh, in that initial, you know, line of scrimmage play that it takes away his chance to really blow past guys initially. I think what, what gives that perception of him at press and press, you know, uh, is because of how wide those hash marks are in college and how far out, you know, UCF spread these, you know, they work the width of the field. Um, so they have the time for guys to get off, you know, press, but in the NFL where things happen quicker, you play the game essentially in the middle of the field, he's going to have to quicken that process up um, in order to really, you know, maximize his potential. But the, the skill set is, is definitely um, where it needs to be. And I'm like, Chris, I, I thought he probably would go a little bit higher um, because he is a really good player. He's there. Like he said, he's their go ball guy. He tracks the ball. Well, exactly what Chris said. Um, and he's going to, he's going to be a bona fide X, I think on his roster. And real quickly on him as well, uh, Chris, I'll go to you for this. I, I, I uh, have obviously some friends down in Florida who uh, have some connections, some college football and a friend of mine who has some connections at UCF actually texted me and said, we stacked him up a few sets, but he only played the left side. He may have lined up on the right side six times all year. He said, um, and that's interesting. He said, because because of the tempo they run in their offense, they just had him basically on one side all year. Yeah, that's what's really interesting, too, about the air raid system. Their coach, Josh Heupel, was a quarterback at Oklahoma um, and brought that, like Emery said. I mean, the the biggest spread offense that maybe you could see in college football, that there were times where it almost looked like Gabriel Davis was on the sideline when he was running his routes. Um, and it's interesting that you bring that up because I didn't do it a lot in my scouting notebook, but I wrote the last thing that I wrote for Gabriel Davis pre-draft was, predominantly played left side of the field. Um, and you don't really see that very much. I don't think uh, the tempo and only playing one position will happen in the NFL um, with the bills, but that could kind of steepen his learning curve a little bit if they have to line him up at different positions um, across the formation. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right. So let's go back to you, Emery, because the fifth round pick may have been the most polarizing from bills fans. Obviously they go quarterback. And at that point, you know, uh, Jake Fromm is sitting there and, we can debate, you know, what he's going to bring to the Bills uh, necessarily, but at that point in the draft, in the fifth round, Brandon Bean said, boy, he was just too good to pass up. There's a lot of different interesting takes about Jake and what, you know, he might be at the NFL level. How did you see him? You know, I think he's like what they already have on the roster in Matt Barkley. And, you know, Barkley, I thought, look better as a bill than he did his entire career everywhere else. You know, he's played efficient. You know, we were all at that jets game where he stepped in and really, you know, showed that he could carry the, the water, so to speak, and help keep that offense on pace. You know, first pass, he goes deep down the field um, and connects on a deep ball. And I see from being the same way. I don't see from as a starter. I see him as a solid QB two that you can trust in the two to three game stretch. Um, so I think this puts a lot of pressure on Davis Webb to really step up and play well. Um, and, and you took him in the fifth round. You have a guy that that can that has played a lot of football despite being a junior. He started since his freshman season. Um, he's efficient off play action. He you know, touch timing, anticipation, all that good stuff that you like. Just doesn't have the, the arm strength. And what I like about him mostly is that he has varied game experience. So we saw him in blowouts. We saw him when, you know, they really needed to for him to make key decisions um, because the the overall game plan wasn't working. We saw him in the playoffs. We saw him in championship games. So he has a lot of experience to draw from, which will help him at the pro level. What do you think about him sliding like that, Chris? And what do you think about his game? 
Well, I thought he would go a little earlier just because of a lot of the points that Emery brought up in terms of the cerebral part of the game that, that he has down very well and all that big game experience. I think that's a fantastic point, but I actually had him at uh, number 140 overall. I thought he was a fourth or a fifth round prospect because of how much his arm I figured was going to hold and will hold him back at the NFL level. I think the Matt Barkley comparison um, is perfect and that we've heard Brandon Bean and, and even Josh Allen and Matt Barkley all say that it's interesting that and different than a lot of quarterback rooms that Barkley and Josh Allen have opposite skill sets, but they have liked how Josh Allen has been able to draw from Matt Barkley, who is an anticipation thrower. He has to be because of his arm um, was came into the league more advanced probably than Josh Allen um, when it came to reading things, pre-snap blitz, pickup, sliding the line of scrimmage uh, with his offensive line, deciding where to go with the football. If his first read isn't there, that's what Jake Fromm can give to the bills in the long term. with Matt Barkley uh, in the last year of his contract. I think it made sense for the bills. Like you mentioned, Brandon Bean said in the fifth round, the positional value for a quarterback is just higher than any other position that you would possibly take other than quarterback. So I thought, you know, some bills fans, and I've certainly gotten some texts from my friends that are bills fans saying like, what were they thinking? They don't need a quarterback, but they quietly did kind of have a need Mm -hmm. beyond 2020. And I think that's why I like the pick. I gave it a B plus doesn't have the physical uh, side of the game to be a starter. Like Emery said, long-term starter, but like we saw with Matt Barkley, can he step in and, and, and win you a game or two? I think he can. Yeah. And, and a point I've been trying to make, you know, to some bills fans for the last couple of months is look, a reason why you had Matt Barkley. And then before that, of course, Derek Anderson on the roster is Josh Allen needed that veteran presence. He needed a veteran backup behind him to sh- kind of show him the ropes, set an example. Josh is going into his third year. If he still needs that, that may be more of a Josh Allen problem. So you're okay now, maybe having a rookie, a younger guy be inserted there. And Matt Barkley is on the last year of his deal. But Emery, to me, this signifies that they think Josh Allen is probably ready to move away from having that veteran behind him that he needs to learn from. Yeah. And, and you saw them last year, uh, you know, bring in Tyree Jackson and as an undrafted free agent. And I think, Maybe some Bills fans feel as though, well, why not have, you know, follow the the Baltimore Ravens approach and have your backup be able to do some of the same things that your starter can in case of emergency. Um, and we know Josh Allen's athleticism is his calling card, and that's not the calling card of Jake Fromm. Um, so maybe some Bills fans didn't mind quarterback being taken. Maybe they probably looked at, let's say, an athlete like a Cole McDonald or someone like that um, that could have been there to kind of mimic Josh Allen. But like, like you guys said, I mean, at the end of the day, you can't really fault them in round five for taking this because of, you know, the draft. Well, I think a lot of fans tend to view the draft as immediate. Okay. This guy that we draft is going to start today. Like, no, a lot of it right. is, is you know, uh, down the line type planning, which is great. Uh, you know, or which is what great organizations do. Well, the sixth round pick represents a little of both guys because it's down the line. You know, kickers can kick for a long time in this league if they're good enough. But the Bills also had some issues and struggles with Stephen Hauschka making some longer kicks. They go and get a guy that has a tremendous leg. Chris, how do you even evaluate kickers coming out of college? It's tough because me just with being a, a NFL draft analyst year round, I'm not a huge fan of teams ever drafting a kicker. There's 
across the leagues, an abundance of undrafted kickers that are, are the starting field goal kickers for a lot of teams. Um, and it's very rare that, that you see a team pick a kicker and then he ends up being that team's kicker for three, four five seasons. But to your point, you're right. That Steven Hauschka didn't have as good of a 2019 as he did the previous season. And a lot of it was about his leg and Tyler Bass does give you uh, probably the biggest leg of any kicker in this draft class. And similar to the Jake Fromm being cheaper over the long run than Matt Barkley, uh, obviously being a six round pick, the bills would not have to pay Tyler Bass that much money compared to what they just gave Steven Hauschka moving into the future. So in terms of positional value and just with how much turnover there is at the kicker position almost every year, um, I, I didn't like it from that perspective, but if they are like Emery was saying, long-term planning, uh, I, I can understand it to a certain degree. Yeah. And Emery, obviously the way the game is played now and the kickoffs and things like that, that has to play a role. Some teams even have kickoff specialists. We've seen the bills do that. This kid can do both. Yeah. And first of all, he's a Sunbelt conference player. So all props. To, <laughs> there you go, man. Uh, of course. Sunbelt football, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, but he has a huge leg, like you mentioned, and, and it's a weapon, you know, at the end of the day, if you cross the 50, you see how Baltimore was able to, to use the field position and really beat opponents, you know, with the with their ability to, okay, once we cross the 50, at the end of the day, we our playbook is open because we know we have a kicker that can hit 60 to 60-something yards with ease. So I think that's right there a really good way to, again, just play the entire game and, and really use that entire roster to, to, you know, really put strain on the defense and on special teams. The next player, I'm going to tie him even back to the kicker, Bass, because I really believe, guys, that the loss in Houston weighed on the Bills this offseason and how they planned their uh, their attack, so to speak, on how to build their roster. And I say that because there were two things that really were lacking. Number one, maybe having a field goal kicker could really boot one mm-hmm. from 60 yards to win a game. I mean, they were in position maybe to do that in overtime before things fell apart. The other thing is we saw Duke Williams. Here he is, taller wide receiver, finally gets his opportunity doesn't come down with a couple catches that were debatable whether he should or not. And maybe the Bills felt, look, we we did a good job of giving Josh Allen some guys who get separation. We definitely need to have a couple taller guys. So in, come Gabe, in comes Gabe Davis. And now in the sixth round, Isaiah Hodgins. I think that represents what the Bills thought they lacked to get over the hump in Houston. But Brandon Bean said, look, we could have taken smaller guys as well. But obviously he is six foot four. How did you grade him out? Where do you think he falls in here, Emery? He's my number 10 split in. So again, it shows that, yeah, they needed guys that can be dogs on the outside. They got enough of the you know, in-between space run, run type, you know, receivers. He's catching run guys. They needed some bona fide studs on the outside. So that's why they go and get digs. That's why they drafted Davis and they drafted Hodgins. Hodgins is a very good route runner for a tall guy. Um, you know, he's very good at finding, finding a counter move within his route running. So if you take away his ability to try to get to the outside, he quickly has something to answer that to where he can get to the outside. So he's tracking the football with these, just like we talked about with Gabriel Davis. So obviously being able to track that football is something that they valued in a receiver, which is something you're supposed to, um, and is a very good athlete. So I think, you know, Hodgins, especially here was a, was a find, um, and it's going to be interesting to see how he works out within this whole uh, process. Also had really good hands, which is what Brandon Bean talked about. But Chris, before you get to your evaluation, can he also play maybe the slot because he's he's not the bulkiest guy, right? And he he the book on him, and you could tell me if this is right or not, is maybe a little bit off press coverage has to get better at that. So maybe could he fit in the slot even at his size? 
Did I lose Chris? Go oh, ahead, yeah, Chris. Go ahead. I'm go ahead, buddy. Now, I got you now. Go ahead, buddy. No, yeah. I think he could project um, as a big slot because, like Emery said, I think more so than Gabriel Davis, Isaiah Hodgins gives you more wiggle um, at the line of scrimmage and then throughout his route um, ran more routes at Oregon State than Gabriel Davis did um, at UCF. And at 6'4 and around 210 pounds, you talked about his reliability with his hands. I thought after T. Higgins in this draft class, Isaiah Hodgins had the largest catch radius Mm -hmm. and the most natural ability to just go up and high point the football. He's not going to drop a lot of easy passes, but he's also going to come down with those circus grabs. And I like that, um, like Emery mentioned, at 6'4 and 210, he's not stiff. He can sink his hips um, when he needs to get out of his break off the top of his route stem. Uh, so I think you could really play him anywhere. He could really be a mismatch in the slot where some of that route running intricacy could really be accentuated with all the space, but even more so than Gabriel Davis. And it's interesting with Hodgins being the sixth rounder and Davis being the fourth rounder, he's more the go up and get it wide receiver that on third and long in the red zone. I think that's where Isaiah Hodgins, even right away when he's maybe the number four or the number five receiver, you can plug him into the field and say, just go up and get it because that's what he did and improved his statistics across the board in all three of his seasons at Oregon state. Yeah. He will compete with Robert Foster, Duke Williams, Isaiah McKenzie, Ray, Ray McLeod should be an interesting battle. And of course with Davis uh, beyond the top three in Buffalo. All right. So we go back to January, the senior bowl guys. I remember specifically the first day I'm watching practice and I'm like, boy, that corner from Pitt is pretty good. Dane Jackson. He stuck with me all through the draft process because of that. I thought he played really well at the senior bowl, but tell me a little bit more about him. Chris, he comes to the bills as a uh, seventh round draft pick. Yeah, six foot, 187 pounds, around 31 inch arms. So he's a little on the smaller side. Um, but if you're going to play him in the slot, I think six feet and 31 inch arms, that that's good size for your slot cornerback almost predominantly played on the outside at Pitt, And you just love his feistiness. That was one of the first things I wrote um, in my scouting notebook on him is that he can play press. He's in your face, um, probably best in off man coverage or in zone where he can just read the quarterback's eyes. And the biggest thing for me outside of athleticism and just meeting an NFL standard when it comes to speed and twitchiness, cornerbacks need to be aware when the football is arriving and be able to make a play on the football that there's so many good cornerbacks um, that are really good athletes, but they ultimately fall short at the catch point. And I think that hinders some of their success. Ronald Darby um, that used to play on the bills was the prime example for that, that he was a crazy athlete, but just had problems finding the football. That's not what you get with Dane Jackson. He's very, very feisty. And I think Pat Narduzzi um, from his Michigan state days, then going to Pitt, that is a cornerback factory, similar cover three type system uh, that what the bills run. So in the seventh round, getting my 16th best cornerback in this draft class, I thought that was awesome value and his versatility, the feistiness and the ball skills. I could see him making this team, or even if he starts the year on the practice squad, ultimately after some injuries, uh, seeing the field as a rookie. And it wouldn't surprise me if he made some plays. You know, Em, I'm mad at myself because before the seventh round started, I was going to tweet, hey, this kid Dane Jackson's out there who I really liked at the Senior Bowl, and I think the Bills should target him. And I never tweeted it, and if I did, I would have looked as smart as you guys. But now I'm mad at myself for never tweeting that, So, but they did wind up picking (laughs) him anyway. 
Yeah, I was at the North Carolina game this year when they played UNC on that Thursday night and came away impressed with with him and just how fluid he is. And, you know, when you are able to press with your feet and not just with your hands, uh, it, it yields itself to you being able to play on either side of, you know, the field, boundary or field, or even inside as a slot. I think maybe you know, uh, as a slot corner um, in the run game, he's a solid open field tackler. Most of these guys from from Pitt can do that as well. He's got good length, you know, and um, he's just a good overall football player. And I like how he's able to play special teams. And when you're getting guys this late in the draft, there, you know, you know, they're going to have to star on special teams. So he can do that. But I just like his ability to mirror and match. When you are able to do that on the outside, you as a coach, you're like, okay, I can easily use this on the inside. And when you look at how the Bills have their their cornerback room, guys like Dane Jackson that are able to play anywhere, they're very versatile. Um, you know he's going to find a way on the field. All right, guys, uh, before I head on out of here, uh, thanks for doing this, by the way. I'll give you a little rapid fire, a few questions here. Give me about a minute or less on each of these questions. And we'll start with you. Um, was there a guy who you thought, thought was maybe a bigger reach uh, for a team somewhere in the draft? So let's let's focus maybe on the first couple of rounds, especially somebody who maybe that went off the board earlier than you thought they should have. Yeah, you look at pick number six. Uh, there's nothing Justin Herbert does better than Jalen Hurts except being tall. And so huh. for him to go six overall – um, to a team that also needed help at along the offensive line. And there was still, you know, the big uh, three of the big four was still there uh, for them to take. I just found that to be bizarre. And, you know, now you have to really wonder, is he even better than Tyrod Taylor? I mean, I, we know he's taller than Tyrod Taylor. So um, I just thought that was a major reach by Los Angeles, especially when you consider who's still looming out there as a free agent at the position. Chris. Yeah, I'll go with Austin Jackson, the Dolphins' second pick in the first round. Looks the part. He looks like he has an, or he already has an NFL left tackle body, and he's a good athlete. He's a high end athlete, but technically, with his footwork, um, using his hands, his punch is normally late or, or in, inaccurate. You watch that game, uh, USC against Utah, and. Bradley and I, who went in the fifth round of the Cowboys, who's not a great athlete, but is technically very sound, completely destroyed Austin Jackson. And I think, yes, the Dolphins are thinking long term, but he has a long way to go um, to be a quality pick or, or a quality player to live up to being a top 20 selection at a very important position, especially after drafting to a tongue of Iloa. All right. So let's go the other way, Chris. Uh, later round pick who. You're you're thinking to yourself, man. I can't believe he's the, he was still there. Uh, these fans are going to love him, and we're going to say in a few years from now, how the hell did he get drafted so late? How about Eno Benjamin, the running back from Arizona State, going two twenty two overall in the seventh round to the Arizona Cardinals? That I saw someone kind of like Devin Singletary that he's he's low to the ground, but has over two hundred pounds, carried a big workload. Uh, had 300 carries two years ago and very naturally elusive that he sees a linebacker. He can do a spin move, jump cut, uh, has good vision. And he caught 77 passes the past two years at Arizona state, very reliable hands. You don't want to see him in space, some juice down the field too. He had a good, good combine, uh, and playing in that air raid system. That's wide open. Deandre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald still there, uh, with Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury, I think that was awesome value for the Cardinals to get Eno Benjamin in the seventh round. 
All right, now let's talk about, uh, oh, value for you. I'm sorry, Emery, who, who's the value guy late in the draft? Who are we going to say in a few years? How the heck did he get drafted so late? I'm going to just stop at the fourth round and go with Meek Robertson out of Louisiana Tech. Like, mm-hmm. he was my number one slot corner, and the Raiders had a great draft, by the way. But just for him to go in the fourth round strictly on the his height is bizarre because you're going to see a guy that's going to end up making multiple Pro Bowls, I believe, because of how just nasty and aggressive he plays. And his ball skills will get him uh, noticed early as a rookie. All right, Em, let's stay th- uh, with you and let's uh, wrap it up with this team that uh, their media and fans should be really asking questions. What the heck were you doing? This, these don't make sense. A team that you didn't like their draft. And then the other way, a team that you said, you know what? Th- this team really nailed this thing. You know, I- I'm going to, I didn't, I like certain parts of their draft, maybe two parts, but there should be some questions about the saints draft. You know, you look at the saints last two playoff games against the Rams and the Vikings. You didn't come away from both of those games saying, man, the Saints really need a, a right guard. No, you came away from those games saying, man, they need some help opposite of Michael Thomas, or they need to get even more you know, stout or better at corner, or they need to find someone that can replace Drew Brees because his arm clearly isn't the same way. They didn't go in there saying, man, they, need, they really need to find a right guard of the future. And after they took a guy in Eric McCoy. So yeah, I like the Troutman pick. That was great. They, I think that upgrades that position. Zach Bond was a great pick too, because he's more dependable, I believe than Alex Anzalone. Um, but then you trade away all your picks to get back to, to, you know, to trade Adam to get, uh, draft Adam Troutman and you trade a 2020 draft, 2021 draft pick to get back into the draft to draft Tommy Stevens. What made that so frustrating is that people on Twitter, Saints fans and some on the Saints beat, spent all day the previous day telling me that, or earlier that day, that the Saints already had Steve Young on the roster. And, um, I- you know, if Steve Young is on the roster, why are you trading for a quarterback and why are you signing Jameis Winston? Yeah. So I had some serious questions about the Saints draft. And then uh, what do you like? What, what team did you really like their draft? The Raiders, man, you talk about getting my number one split in and Henry Ruggs, the third, my number two uh, boundary corner or field corner and Damon Arnett, my number three slot receiver in Lynn Bowden, number one inside receiver in Brian Edwards and my number one slot in Amik Robertson and my number three guard in John Simpson. So personally, I think the Raiders cleaned up in this draft. I thought they knocked it out the park. And Chris, uh, let's go with you. Let's start with a team you really liked and then tell me who should be having a lot of questions today. I really liked what the Denver Broncos did just from their first pick to their last pick. Me too. Um, I mean, at the time when they went Jerry Judy, then KJ Hamler, I was wondering if they were just ignoring some bigger uh, need areas, but playing in the AFC West, I think these teams are like, and, and kind of like Emery said for as many wide receivers and playmakers as the Raiders picked, I think the Broncos were like, Hey, we need to do the same thing to play in that track meet type of game with the Kansas city Chiefs. So I, I actually, as the draft progressed, liked the back-to-back wide receivers that are super explosive in Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler. Um, McTelvin, Aguim, the uh, pass rushing specialist on the inside from Arkansas, kind of a similar player to Draymond Jones that they picked a few years ago out of Ohio State. Not great against the run, but he's going to pressure the quarterback from the inside, mm-hmm. and there's really nothing more valuable than that. They draft Lloyd Cushenberry, um, who has tons of experience kind of in a spread system as a pass blocker um, at LSU, I think fits very well with Drew Locke and what they want to do on offense. And then one of their last picks, uh, Derek Tuska, 
the edge rusher from North Dakota state had an awesome combine was arguably the most athletic edge rusher that went through all the workouts in Indianapolis has good pass rushing moves to get him to, with the second to last pick in the draft and to let him learn from Bradley Chubb and Von Miller. Uh, I, I think that's a great situation for him. So from, they had a ton of picks, their first pick at 15, Jerry Judy, all the way to 254 overall. Um, I think the Broncos did a really good job in this draft. What fan base should be pretty upset today? I'm going to go with the obvious one that everyone's talking about the green Bay Packers. <laughs> and it really wasn't because of the Jordan love pick. I, I think I understood the logic behind that, not just to say Aaron Rodgers is older, let's draft a quarterback. Um, but stylistically they're kind of similar. I mean, I'm, I'm not calling Jordan love the next Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers, but the improvisation, the ability to throw off platform outside of the structure of the play, drop it in the bucket down the field. Uh, I think if Aaron Rodgers does want to be any type of mentor to Jordan Love in two or three years, and we're probably not going to see Jordan Love until at least 2021 or 2022, um, then I think they could actually have their quarterback of the future. But after that, for a team that was in the NFC title game last year that has 36-year-old Aaron Rodgers, this should have been a win now impact player type of draft. I like AJ Dillon. I thought 62 was a little early for him. He's going to be probably the third running back behind Aaron Jones and Jamal uh, Williams there. Um, they drafted Josiah Degara, tight end H back type. He's going to be a backup as a tight end. I just thought throughout their entire draft, um, they picked some offensive linemen later when they have a pretty sturdy offensive line um, outside of maybe AJ Dillon because of how teams like to use running back committees and there's injuries at that position. I don't know if they drafted a starter in this draft when they should be realizing that their Super Bowl window is closing. Didn't pick a wide receiver either. Uh, and that was really everything that any Packers fan I talked to said, maybe they should double up on wide receiver. So in this draft class to not give Aaron Rodgers a secondary uh, threat to to Devonte Adams and to Alan Lazard there was really surprising. So it's kind of a head scratching draft for a team that should be win now, but drafted for the long term. Yeah. It looks like they, they almost drafted like a team that's rebuilding. So it's going to be interesting yeah. to see how it all plays out, especially because of the, the Rogers love thing. All right. Did both of you guys get a chance to decompress on Sunday at least and maybe sit down and watch the last dance or something? I don't know. Yeah, a little bit, uh, just kind of chilled. And it, I had the itch to start doing some great stuff. I know Emery gets really into that, but I was like, you know what? At least take one day off. But now here we are on Monday of course. talking about the draft. What'd you do yeah, I on Sunday? I usually, take the, I usually take like the, you know, I was cause usually I'm already after the draft, I'm preparing to go up to Canada to cover their, uh, you know, senior, their senior bowl, uh, which usually kicks off my 2021 calendar um, but now, you know, I'm sitting here not doing that. Uh, so it's just, I'm getting prepared for the CFL draft before and allowing more undrafted free agents to, to sign. Yep. So all I did Sunday was watch something non-related to football. I think I watched, yeah, I watched pets too. I had never seen that. Before. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's totally you unrelated. Go. That's you know, okay. I turned on, I turned on the karate kid, the, the newer one, the one with Jaden Smith had my son. I said, let's just sit here and watch the movie or something for a little while after everything. <laughs> and then, and then the last dance on Sunday night, guys, uh, I'd say 
kick back and enjoy, take the week off. But if I know both of you, I'm going to have a 2021 mock by the end of the week. Okay. That's, I know how you guys grind. All right. That's what's going to happen. Thank you very much. Both of you for joining me. That was really cool. I'm glad we were able to do this today. Uh, Chris, thank you. Be safe. Obviously. I appreciate it. Emery as well. Um, we're going to look forward to seeing both of you guys, whether that's at training camp in Buffalo or down the road at a game. I'm, I'm going to see both of you guys. I'm sure in 2021, 2020, excuse me. Hopefully there is football before 2021. All right, Sal. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.